Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am your host, Ben Standing. I'm going to cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It is a Sunday afternoon hope everyone is doing well uh happy july 4th weekend to everyone um i wanted to get a podcast out to you i know it's hard to figure out with a holiday weekend when's the best time to put it out but i figured i'd still go with the traditional sunday uh afternoon evening time so it'll be there for monday Uh, i know some people will be working or even if you're at the beach you can get to chill out and listen to this the guest on this episode of the podcast, Brandon Thorne, noted offensive line and defensive line thinker. He is somebody who is, uh, you know, there's not many people who do what he does and that give great thought and detail, uh, detail attention to the line. But that is exactly what he does. And you can uh, read his work, uh, trenchwarfare.substack.com and a bunch of other spots. What we discussed today, he put out a new metric that helps establish um, more insight into pressure rates, not just sort of the generic pressure rate, but like he's looking at a really higher quality pressure rate. And he put out some information on Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL that um, if you look at the list, Jonathan Allen ranks really high. Others commanders are up on the list as well. So I wanted to get his view uh, to tell us about that stat, tell us how the commanders fare there. What does he think about um, the fact that the commanders are, you know, paying the two tackles uh, with Montez Sweat, Chase Young coming up for, for for new deals? What does he think of those two guys? And, of course, also wanted his view on the offensive line, which is, to me, putting Sam Howell aside, just because Sam Howell's mostly about inexperience. Offensive line is my biggest concern, so I wanted to get Brandon's view on that group as well. So we'll get to all that in a moment and some news of the day as well here on the Standard Group Only podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting. Hit that subscribe button. You can do it right now while you're listening here. And, of course, if you haven't yet, uh, check out my work on the Athletic had a story last week about Cole Turner, previously a story on Sam Howe and the importance of that rookie contract uh, and how he is able, uh, you know, what that could mean for this franchise going forward if he is a hit. Uh, and of course, you can follow me on Ben Standing. Uh, I don't know what to make of Twitter anymore, people. So hopefully if I if I have anything else, anywhere else to get me, I'll, I'll let you know. If you want to follow me on Instagram, uh, at B. M Standig, so B is in Ben, M is in Mitchell Standig uh, on Instagram. Um, I, when I get to, back to training camp, I'll do, I'll certainly will try to put more things up on there than I have in the past, especially with Twitter being a bit of a, uh, even more of a mystery now than it was before. Before I get to my Brandon Thorne interview, couple of notes here. Uh, the we a bunch of us reported the other day that it appears 
that when Josh Harris and his group take over this team, uh, we think that could be the end of the, by the end of this month um, with the league owners or the team owners set to vote on the sale on July 20th. That's likely going to be passed. What does he, what does Josh Harris do at that point? You know, uh, does he make a lot of changes? If he so, is that happening quickly? Is that happening later? What are we doing? So what came out over right on Friday, right, right uh, before the weekend kicked in was the notion that don't expect any, any notable changes once they take over initially. And I think that initially word is key. The specific was about Jason Wright and how Jason Wright, um, cause the football side of things, there's really not much they can do already. The, the NFL calendar is such that when Josh Harris takes over, the commanders will have either just started training camp or, uh, you know, about to, or a couple of day or two in. So there's not really much you can do on that front. You can just have conversations with Ron Rivera and his staff, get a feel for where things are at and assess how they got to this point and assess what happens going forward. The business side though, that is something where you could see uh, some moves happening sooner than later uh, because why not? Like there's no reason that you could not obviously some things when you talk about marketing and all that, like that's obviously, you know, wheels are already in motion for, for that, especially with, you know, whether we're talking about a training camp or just the upcoming season, buying tickets. But, you know, you would imagine that Josh Harris is going to have people um, that he knows being involved in some way, consultants, new hires. And then the question is, oh, how high would that new hire go? It's not like, you know, you, you have a team president in Jason Wright. Jason Wright's got his own staff of people. Clearly, you don't you wouldn't think um, or sorry, you know, that you don't have to do something, but you think it could. Again, Josh Harris has owned two teams or currently owns two teams, an NBA and an NHL team. That's not the NFL, but from a business perspective, he knows what's what's worked for him, what hasn't and what people that he can trust in these important spots. You know, again, um, you know, Josh Harris has had people that have worked for him or, or he knows, um, you know, there's some people to keep an eye on that have been up with some of those uh, other organizations that he's dealt with or with uh, the Wells Fargo arena where the Sixers play their home games, things like that to keep an eye on as well. But in the short term, the notion is that Jason Wright will be sticking around. And I guess I would just say to you two things. I just, well, not two things. I'll just say that to me, this is not the same as saying Jason Wright will remain as president for an indefinite amount of time that he will be part of this team in this process going forward. We'll see. I think he's going to get, it looks like an opportunity to um, have the Josh Harris group, see what he does and have a conversation and help with the transition at, at, at a minimum uh, history suggests based on, the time with the Sixers and the Devils, the Josh Harris and his group will not be coming in and immediately making major changes. But at the same time, I don't know if that's day one or a month or two months or three months before things start to uh, change. Again, the the NFL calendar as it is, is probably making it such that it doesn't make a lot of sense to uh, 
make sweep, sweeping changes when you've got a season right upon you. So uh, it'll be interesting to see that. But again, the news for now, no changes expected of, of note when the new ownership comes on board. But again, in my my read of this, this is a short-term status. This is not a definitive, nothing will change going forward. And we'll just have to see if going forward means, again, one week, a month, the end of the season, or beyond that. Time will tell. But for now, Jason Wright and others staying with Washington uh, whenever the new ownership takes control uh, officially. Um, other than that, you know, it's obviously been pretty quiet uh, at this time of year. Good. <laughs> uh, good for the most part. Um, the commanders did hire um, a new analytics uh, person. So, yeah. So, Preston, if I'm saying this last name right, Biro, B I R O, is joining the team um he really is essentially doubling the size of their analytics department um according to his linkedin page he previously was an intern at the detroit lions for football information data scientist uh he worked a little bit on for a smaller college school as well before that uh but now he's full-time as a football data scientist so uh what that means exactly you know we'll see but they've added another piece to that department, which of course is interesting because Josh Harris is known for uh, at least on the NBA side, uh, coveting uh, analytics, viewing the world in that regard. Washington has been more active uh, as time has gone on with Rivera, but at the same time, it's not as if it's been a, a group that's leading by analytics, but now they have another person to help the cause that's interesting um and part of what we'll be watching with josh harris is where does he put an emphasis uh in terms of uh roster building on the staff front as well not just roster building in terms of getting quarterback and things like that but what about the staff as well all right um let's get to my conversation with brandon thorne and but actually one one last thing i will have podcasts up throughout the month of july i'm going to try to take some time off uh, but I've already got a few uh, interviews in the can that I'm excited for everybody to hear. Uh, topics include, you know, what's the, if we're talking about building a stadium, what are the things that are a must have in a new stadium? Uh, what advice um, would, would people give for Josh Harris? And then just some other commanders overall thoughts on the current team. So we'll have plenty more to discuss this uh, the rest of this month. But for now, here is my conversation with uh, offensive line and defensive line guru Brandon Thorne here on the Standard Groom Only podcast. All right. We uh, always, uh, well, I shouldn't say we, but there's always this talk like, what's the song of the summer? I, I, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm, I'm too old for, for that discussion. But I do wonder if we're about to discuss the uh, new analytics uh, metric of the summer. And that is something that our next guest developed. He is one of the offensive line uh, gurus out there. Brandon Thorne. You can read him on uh, his his own Substack, uh, as well as at, at Twitter at Brandon Thorne NFL. But we're talking at a point where none of us know how long Twitter will be around. So I don't know. We'll see about that, uh, Brandon. But thank you for being around. How, how are you? 
Doing great, man. Yeah, just uh, appreciate the intro and, you know, excited to to talk about this for the first time, you know, since it just came out yesterday. So, yeah, it's it's really cool. I'm excited well, about it. Well, well, well great. Um, you look, we want to talk about uh, get your view of the commanders specifically as well. But, you know, your your new uh, metric here that you call pressure quality ratio, which you wrote, uh, reflects the rate of high quality to low quality pressures it's a good way to look at the most potent pass rushers who may not have the volume of pressures as others and you, you that's what you wrote on twitter it, it, it jumped out in part because very on the list is one of the guys here and jonathan allen um but just before we get to that i guess just tell us about this metric beyond kind of what i just said what you know how did you kind of come up come up with this yeah, so the pressure quality ratio that you're referencing is just kind of a, like kind of a subsect of the of the actual you know metric. The main metric is um, well, I guess the overarching name is is TPR, the true pressure rate. So um, people who have been reading my work on Substack, uh, they'll they'll be familiar with something called the true sack rate. So I've been doing that since 2020. And that's uh, going through and charting every single sack in the NFL and basically assigning a grade to it, you know, low or high quality um, and also or rare high quality. Uh, so that just adds a lot of context to the sack, you know, metric or statistic, um, the raw statistic that is. So essentially, I just did the same thing with pressures. Um, and the reason why I hadn't done pressures up until this point is just really just time, um, you know, because, you know, the leader in pressures have 70, 60, 50, as opposed to the leaders in sacks have, you know, 10, 15. Uh, so obviously just the numbers are are way different. Um, so uh, I had some time this offseason. I've been wanting to do this for a while. I've had people ask me to do this for years, and I finally had the time. So uh, I still didn't do every pressure like I do every sack uh, in the NFL. Um, but for this, I stopped at the top 50 in pressures. Um, so that came out to a little over 2,300 pressures that I charted uh, 50 players. So basically everyone with 44 pressures or more, I watched every one of those guys. So uh, yeah, and it it's also coinciding with my offensive line masterminds work that I'm doing right now, which is next week. Uh, I watch all the pass rushers and make kind of scouting libraries on them every year. I've been doing that since 2018. So this is just another way to kind of kill two birds with one stone in a way, you know, because I'm already watching these guys. So now I'm just going a little bit more in depth. Uh, so, yeah, I the true pressure rate is what it is. And then within that, you know, you get the true pressure score, um, which is kind of the main metric and then pressure quality ratio. Uh, those are kind of the two big ones. So pressure score is just a summation of all of their pressures, rare, high quality, high quality, and low quality. The sum of all that is their pressure score. And then the pressure quality ratio um, is a really cool one because it doesn't really factor in volume as much. Um, so th this is really good for identifying the guys who may not have the same volume as you know other guys, but the quality of their pressures was extremely high. So that's what you're referencing, and that's what pressure quality ratio is all about. It's just rare high quality and high quality divided by low quality, and that's how you get it. It's real simple. Well, I appreciate you uh, clarifying. I was so excited to talk about the the, the one I skipped over, the uh, the overarching um, aspect of this. You know, you mentioned all the reps that you that you watch. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sort of curious. I'm sure it's, you've said this, and I just don't know. 
what got you into really focusing on the line? Because while sacks can be sexy, you know, not everybody gets as excited about watching the defensive tackle in the center butt heads or, you know, the pulling guard or, you know, the run stuff. And what, what, what led you to sort of get um, into that specific part of football? Yeah, a couple different things. Well, I played offensive line in high school and a little defensive line. So at least I gained I gained a little bit of an appreciation for it then. Um, just how difficult, you know, it was to kind of move backwards, take a pass set and try to block somebody who's more athletic than you. And uh, that that kind of just like laid a little bit of a foundation. I was also just a big, you know, Madden guy. I played Madden like <laughs> sure. religiously growing up and I was big into knowing the roster. So I always knew who the best offensive linemen were, the best defensive linemen. So I kind of had a, you know, an awareness of who those guys were growing up, you know, the Jonathan Ogden's Orlando Pace, Walter Jones, Larry Allen, all, you know, Will Shields. So, you know, that kind of laid the foundation. Um, and then I had an opportunity to get out of the military early uh, after about 10 years. And I, during that time, I was still an NFL fanatic but uh, I wanted to become an NFL scout. And when I got out, I got on social media and uh, started kind of consuming some NFL, you know, analysis content, whatever was on there. This was like 2014, uh, 2013 timeframe. And I realized that nobody was talking about offensive line and, uh, or defensive line, really. Um, it just was, there just wasn't a lot there. So, you know, I just kind of put two and two together uh, and I started uh, to reach out to some experts, you know, LaCharles Bentley was kind of the first guy who kind of took me under his wing. He at the time was training guys in Arizona. So I went to his clinic then in 2016. Uh, and then I, that's how I met Duke Mannyweather, who was working for LaCharles at the time. Now Duke Mannyweather is kind of like the main offensive line trainer for NFL players uh, in the world, really, uh, in, in the U.S. Uh, so he took me under his wing. So I just started picking these guys' brains, just learning more about it. Um, did the scouting academy with Dan Hatman, uh, focusing heavily on offensive and defensive line, learning from their coaches there. So, yeah, just really immersed myself in it. And I saw kind of a an opportunity there, you know, in social media to, to start talking about it, start shining a light on offensive and defensive line play. And it just grew. People really liked it. Um, cause they never really got to see, you know, I, I, I would use the coach's film, you know, the all 22 angles, you know, that you don't get to see from TV. Uh, and I really got to show people like, this is what it looks like when a guy is dominant, you know, on offensive or defensive line, um, you know, on a snap to snap basis. And then players started reaching out to me, coaches, uh, and I do work for them on the side and then, uh, offensive line masterminds, you know, since 2018, um, and then I started my sub stack in 2020 and, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's been my, you know, my, my passion, you know, and I've turned it into, you know, it's, it's what I do now full time, you know, for the last couple of years. So it's just, uh, it's been awesome, but that's how I got into it. And that's why I do it. And, uh, I just love kind of giving, a, giving people a peek behind the curtain, you know, of, of an aspect of the game that doesn't get a lot of notoriety and, and come to find out a lot of people think it's pretty cool. So yeah, it's kind of a win-win. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one thing about the NFL. There's NBA, I always say, like, you know, you can watch the game, and obviously there's fine details to, to discover, but you can kind of see everything happening right in front of you. In the NFL, as we know, you watch on TV, you're watching the ball, you're, the, the offensive lineman might be 
the, the line might be in play, but you're not watching it as obviously unless there's like a jailbreak or something, uh, let alone what happens like at the back end of the field. So yeah, it's, it's good right. to, to, to have somebody who can help break that down. Um, I, I don't know if there was anything for you from like a broad perspective that surprised you with this, the information that you got out of this uh, new metric in terms of, I don't know, maybe something about individual players or, or specific team defenses or even just types of defenses that were generating more pressure. But did anything kind of jump out to you once you started to look at the numbers? Um, Honestly, I mean, I think a lot of stuff got confirmed, um, big picture stuff, really. Uh, some players definitely surprised me, but uh, like big picture going in, I, I wanted to do this, you know, not only because people were requesting it, but also because you know, in season, I'm primarily watching offensive line. Um, you know, I watch, I try to watch every game every week, uh, you know, and just focusing on offensive line, uh, for work I do. Um, but you know, throughout that, of course, I see pass rushers and I just notice along the way, you know, so many times guys are getting chunks of pressures that are just very low quality, you know, where simulated pressures, um, or stunts, you know, cause typically on third and fourth down, one of those two things is happening. You know, if th there's going to be a simulated pressure or a stunt or a twist, and that typically results in a guy being unblocked, um, you know, or, or minimally blocked, you know, he's able to get basically a free run at the quarterback. And then, you know, I see on Twitter, you know, PFF or, you know, whoever's grading, they'll say this guy had nine pressures. And I'm like, well, five of those were, you know, I mean, pure scheme, you know, like he, he didn't do anything, you know, right. except just run, you know, run in a straight line. Um, you know, so I just, I always wanted to just add context to it, you know, to really identify like who are the most skilled pass rushers or at least which production is the most valuable, you know? Um, so that was, uh, you know, confirmed going through these, you know, 2000 plus pressures was there's just a good chunk of pressures that come from scheme. Um, and I, I just think it's really cool to be able to kind of filter those out. And then, you know, from player wise, um, you know, I, I watch these guys all the time. So nothing like shocking necessarily, but um, like just looking at the, you know, the pressure, well, the pressure scores a little bit more, I think, intuitive, but like the pressure quality ratio is the one I think the one you were talking about that, you know, is really going to kind of surprise some people that one uh, some interesting ones were like, a lot of low quality pressures. Somebody probably the most surprising one to me was Brian Burns, uh, Panthers uh, edge rusher. He had a lot of low quality production this year. He, he had six high quality sacks, which is actually good. He was like top 20 in sack score this year. So that was good. He's a really skilled pass rusher though. I think he's, he's really good. It's just this past year, the Panthers scheme and really the last couple of years, they've been kind of a very exotic defense on third down they run a lot of uh, a lot of games, um, a lot of overload uh, blitzes, and they get a lot of free runners. And Brian Burns was just the benefit, the, the benefactor of of a lot of those situations, you know. So he he had a very low pressure quality ratio, uh, and obviously you want higher. So that one was kind of surprising. Um, a couple others I knew were going to be low, like uh, Jalen Phillips from Miami, Matt Judon from New England. Uh, Matt Judon had uh 51 total pressures but only 16 17 of those were high quality Jalen Phillips had 61 pressures second year guy for the Dolphins and uh he's like top five or six in pressures overall but he only had 
uh, 20 high quality pressures. So, you know, we know Miami uh, before Brian Flores left there, especially like they were just getting guys schemed, schemed open a lot, you know, in terms of pass rushing. So uh, some of those were kind of surprising. And then some of the, on like the higher end, the Jonathan Allen one, you know, I mean, you know, Jonathan Allen is a guy I've been highlighting for years. I think he's an incredible player, but I wasn't expecting him to be third overall in pressure quality ratio. He didn't have a ton of pressures overall. And that's where people I think may think, oh, you know, he wasn't super productive. He only had 36 pressures, but 23 of them were high quality, which is just a ridiculous ratio. So he was, you know, just throwing like heaters out there. You know, basically every time he did get a pressure, the vast majority of the time, it was because he was beating a guy clean one-on-one. Uh, just, you know, demonstrating a very high degree of skill. Um, so that one, you know, you know, coincidentally enough, uh, you know, was one of the more surprising ones, even though I love the guy. I think he's awesome. I think he had a much better year uh, than I think maybe people think as a pass rusher in 2022. So that that was a big one. I just wanted to to, to check when you say a, a high quality pressure, what does that look like for you? Obviously, it's not. It could be, I guess, getting a sack, but what what what's the baseline for what that means for you? So high quality pressure defined in my article is a, is a one on one QB hit or hurry um, against uh, an above average or below blocker due to the rusher's skill, move, or athletic ability. So that's what it is. Um, rare high quality would be the same thing, but against a very good or an elite player, Trent Williams. Um, you know, uh, Tristan Wirfs, you know, somebody like that. If you're beating somebody like that one-on-one, that's rare. But uh, a high-quality pressure is basically that against everybody else. So it has to be a one-on-one win where you're just beating the guy in front of you clean. Um, I uh, want people to go look at your stuff, so I don't want to, like, you give me too many of the answers. But uh, one I am curious about is uh, with Montez Sweat. He had an interesting year. Obviously, Deron Payne got all the attention here last year, deservedly so, for the breakout year that he had. Jonathan Allen goes back for his second Pro Bowl. Montez, what, I'm not saying he's, like, overlooked, overlooked, but, like, you know, even with Case Young here, he's not the guy we talk about on the edge. And he had, I air quote this, eight sacks, like, you know, only eight. But he was pretty high in when, I, when I'm looking at, like, true media or PFF in terms of just, like, pure, like, you know, hurries and hits and things like that. He was pretty high. How did he rate for you? Because obviously a big interesting thing for him and Chase Young will be, do they convert pressures into sacks, both of them going into a contract year? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. I'm pulling him up now. So, yeah, overall, just in the NFL, like, according to true media, PFF, you know, he had 62 pressures. So that was like tied for 14th with Trey Hendrickson. So yeah, um, based on my uh, charting and everything, his pressure score, uh, let me pull that up. He was 12th in pressure score. So kind of similar uh, ranking to where he is overall. Uh, he had 19 high quality pressures uh, and 35 low quality. So I have him with 54 pressures because people don't know, you know, on true media PFF, when you look at pressures, sacks are included in there. So I deducted those. So he yeah. had, uh, what I say? 61. Yeah. 60. Yeah. He had, or 62, he had 62 pressures, but he also had, you know, however many sacks, you know, eight sacks. Eight, eight sacks so yeah. of course, you know, 62 minus eight, that's, 
that's where I get the 50, uh, 54 number. Um, so out of the 54 pressures, he had 19 high quality. Uh, that's like a 0.54 quality pressure quality ratio, which is above about average. Um, but for the snaps he played, he had, he was, he was a pretty efficient rusher. Cause I also t- keep track of, um, snaps per pressure and high quality snaps per pressure. So if you look at that, he's actually ninth in, uh, snaps per pressure. So every about eight snaps, he gets a pressure, uh, which is really good. Um, high quality pressure is a little bit lower though. He didn't have a ton of those. Um, but you know, I, I think Montez Sweat just generally outside of this metric, I think he's, you know, definitely an above average pass rusher. Um, I think he's improved since he's came into the NFL, you know, quite a bit, you know, being a little raw coming out, um, more just, you know, an athletic Marvel kind of, um, but yeah, I think he's certainly an above average rusher. I mean, he's, he's, he's a good rusher for sure. So I, you know, he, he graded out as like a top 15, you know, kind of a rusher in terms of volume and production for me. Um, and then the pressure quality ratio was, you know, just a little more like middle of the pack. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious your view as a guy who really studies the the, the line, you know, mm-hmm. Washington has a very unique circumstance on their defensive line with four first round picks in a row. And yep. uh, the question has been, well, what do you, you know, can you keep them all? Well, you know, what do you do? I, I talk about asset allocation a lot that even if they're all pretty good paying, extending four of them would be a lot of money for, for one team at one particular area. But within that, typically people pay more to the edge rushers or the ends than they do the tackles. The specifics here though, of course, John Allen, a two-time pro bowler, Jerron Payne coming off a fantastic year. So whatever they do with Chase Young or Montez Sweat, they will likely have extended of the four, two tackles and maybe just one edge. Where are you on that sort of notion of asset allocation, both broadly, but also specific to edge versus uh, tackles? Yeah, I mean, you know, kind of broadly, I I definitely think if you have two elite guys on the inside, I mean, it could just be as valuable as having two guys on the outside. You know, I just, I think there's a lot of, there's been a lot of discussion about this, you know, around kind of NFL writer analyst circles. And I, I mean, I think it's a really interesting discussion. I, I kind of come down on, you know, the interior being at least as, if not more valuable than edge pressure. Um, I think it's a little bit, it can be a little bit more difficult to stop, um, you know, especially with like what defenses are doing, especially on passing downs, third, you know, third and, you know, obvious, you know, any, any sort of obvious passing down, they're really spreading the defense, uh, defensive line out and they're rushing their interior defensive linemen, essentially pre-snap in like a five technique alignment, which is basically right outside the tackle, but he's actually rushing over the guard you'll see this, this is very common. Um, so in doing that, you kind of put them in more space. It's more difficult to, you know, isolate them with your protection. Um, and it, it's, it, they do that to kind of isolate the guard. You know, they want the guard to have to set out into space like a tackle. And then once you do that against one of these elite three techniques, I mean, you know, the, the three technique is pr- pretty much going to eat those guys alive if they get them one-on-one, uh, unless you're talking about an elite guard as well, which there's less of those than elite three techniques. So, um, you know, I, I for, for that reason, how they're being deployed, I think if you have an elite three technique, uh, that's just as if not more valuable, you know, than an edge rusher, just because it's, there's so many different ways to get them one-on-ones now. And, um, 
I, I think, uh, you, you know, you just see just looking even at my true pressure rate, how many defensive tackles are up here. I mean, there's just as many defensive tackles in the top 10, I think, or top 12 as there are edge rushers. So these guys are getting pressure at just the same rate pretty much um, outside of, you know, the top three edge rushers. Uh, so, man, it, you know, I think it's pretty dead even with edge rushers, if not more valuable. So that uh, that's kind of where I come down on that. And then with the, you know, the commander specific situation, um, I think it's interesting because, you know, with the Duran Payne thing, like I totally understand paying him because he had the best year of his career and, you know, he's a really good player. You know, I know they drafted what a defensive tackle the year before uh, from Alabama, you know, fairly high. So I thought that there was probably a pretty good chance that Payne might, you know, leave, uh, you know, and get a better deal elsewhere. But um, the fact that they brought them, brought him back, I don't think is crazy, a little bit surprising because I thought they would have been fine without him. Um, But now that he's back, I mean, you know, this should just be at least as good of a defensive line as last year, if not better, especially with Chase Young coming back. So, um, but other teams are kind of doing something similar. I think the Giants, you know, they have Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, both those guys are, you know, highly paid, Um, you know, so that's one team at least. And uh, there's another San Francisco, right? I mean, they guess by bringing in Hargrove on top of what they already have. Yeah, he's their he's their main interior guy. You know, they had uh, well, I guess you know, Armstead's kind of a kind of a jackknife kind of like you know queen on the chessboard kind of guy. He plays inside and out. So you if you want to qualify him as an interior guy, yeah, Armstead and Hargrave for sure. Um, so that's that's another one. Uh, and there's a couple more. Um, you know, Philly just last year had Hargrave and Cox, uh, but. Yeah, so some teams are doing it. You know, some teams have two of those guys inside, and Washington is probably at the forefront of that because, you know, I think they're, they're, theirs are probably the highest paid. Um, but, yeah, I mean, them and the Giants, you know, in the same division, funny enough, I think are kind of the two teams, you know, as the best examples of that. And I think there's a lot of credence to it. I think you can make it work. I think I don't think it's a crazy it's, – it's a little bit of a unique approach, but – man, you could do a lot of great things. I, I think if their secondary was a little bit better and got a little bit better, held coverage a little bit longer, it could just make it even more potent because obviously the defensive line works off the secondary and vice versa. So if you have a very weak secondary, it'll kind of negate what you have up front regardless. So you kind of need those guys to play off of each other. So we'll see how that goes as well. That's another piece of it, you know, that sure. you know isn't considered, you know, as much as maybe it should be. Why and they use their first two picks this year on defensive backs um, yep. after some big time struggles early last year with William Jackson. They moved on from him. So yes, I think you're right. Uh, if, Very if that important. Sec- yeah, that secondary holds up, then that could make everything a lot better, especially with uh, with Chase Young. Uh, I do want to ask you about the offensive line, but I guess I believe remiss if I didn't at least give uh, let you weigh in on Chase Young. Obviously. Hasn't been much tape to watch uh, for a while because of the injury, unfortunately. Yeah, he, he did get back at the end, but you know there was a whole question: pick up the fifth year option, don't pick up the fifth year option. Um, you know because of their unique circumstances, where they already have two guys have already paid, and I think Sweat's got a decent chance to get an extension. They didn't. Uh, where are you at on a guy like Chase Young, who obviously has a lot of potential, but it hasn't shown for whatever you know for a variety of reasons. Yeah, I mean, you know, the injuries are unfortunate. I think that's a huge part of, you know, why we haven't seen him, you know, become maybe what he, you know, definitely what he was expected to, you know, become, you know, considering where he was drafted, what he did in college, the hype around him and all that. 
Uh, but based on purely what he's been in the NFL when he's on the field, I mean, I've I've just seen a guy who is uh, clearly, you know, physically um, as talented as almost anybody, um, you know, in terms of movement skills, uh, you know, the, he has explosive power, things like that. But to me, he looks like he doesn't really have much of a pass rush plan right now. Um, and I think that a lot of that has to do probably with the injuries. He hasn't really been able to, you know, you know, uh, you know, do a lot of trial and error on the field um, and kind of work through some things. I mean, uh, you know, especially for a young player, you, I don't care how talented you are, you need the reps, you, you know, you need to experiment, you need to try moves, fail, you know, tinker, you know, kind of do things like he just hasn't had the opportunity to do that. So he looks like a very raw uh, pass rusher out there like he doesn't really have that great of a plan um, you know if he gets thwarted or stopped initially he doesn't kind of you know string moves together on top of each other you know very fluidly yet um, so right now he he just needs to play and I think if he could play a full season then we'll start to see kind of his talent you know be unlocked but right now he needs to develop his skill I just think he's a little underdeveloped right now and you know it's understandable considering the injuries and stuff. I think Ron Rivera would agree with your assessment, particularly about the needing to develop more of a plan um, for, yeah. for sure. Um, let me switch over to the offensive line in the last couple of seconds I have with you here. I'm, uh, and I'm curious what information on your sub stack or elsewhere you've written would show us some, some interesting things about the offensive line play, but um, I'm not going to lie. You know, Sam Howell was a big question mark, I think for this team, but young quarterback that's you know that's going to be the case offensive line you'd like to think that's going to be a more stable thing and honestly I th think that's where my biggest concern is and I don't think I'm alone with this team I know you, you're not out there watching practices things like that but based on what you saw last year they, they added some new pieces uh, where are you at on, on 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 this group that's obviously going to be a huge factor anyway but especially with a very inexperienced quarterback yeah, so just a heads up for people, I, I also do work for a website called EstablishTheRun.com, and I rank all 32 uh, offensive lines and all 32 uh, defensive lines heading into the year. So I'm going to be doing a top 32 um, offensive line unit article uh, this month. So I'll be able to kind of place Washington at a specific, you know, like I'll have a hierarchy, I'll have tiers all that kind of stuff, but just looking at their depth chart and knowing all these players, you know, really well. I mean, I definitely see a below average offensive line, uh, you know, for sure. You know, if, if you're saying, you know, 16, the 16th best offensive line is, you know, dead in the middle average. Um, I, I think that they'll probably be below that. I mean, I still think you could win with a below average offensive line, um, you know, but it's obviously going to be difficult. I mean, I'm just looking at the depth chart. I mean, I think without question, Charles Leno is your best player. Um, and, yeah. and he's, you know, he's a good player. Um, but if if your best guy is a good player, then that means that everybody else is below average or at least average. Um, and I think that's probably what you're looking at. Everybody on this offensive line is, you know, average, which is or below average, you know, and I, I think that's the question, you know, what are you going to get? I really like Ricky Stromberg. He was one of my top 10 like guys in the draft that I really liked. Nice. I, I'm very bullish on him. So I think Stromberg could be a good center. Um, I don't see an elite player or anything like that, but I think he could be, you know, average right away and, you know, develop into above average. 
I think he can be a quality starter basically for a long time. So I, I like Stromberg, but aside from that one, man, I mean, you know, we'll see what, I mean, I guess Cosme's playing right guard. Uh, you know, I mean, he, I haven't really seen him much at guard, you know, I mean, I evaluated him coming out of Texas as a tackle, uh, you know, injury, you know, as well. Um, you know, that one's kind of a, you know, we'll see. And then left guard, I mean, what Sadiq Charles or Chris Paul, yeah. um, we'll see. That's, uh, I, I can't imagine that's going to be more than average. Uh, you know, Andrew Wiley and Cornelius Lucas at right tackle. I mean, that's going to be below average. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't see this offensive line being much more than average. I think that's, I'm, I'm looking at an offensive line, probably their ceiling is average and their floor could be, you know, one of the bottom 10 offensive lines in the league, I think, honestly. Yeah. Well, and I was going to ask about the new guys, you know, Nick Gates played mostly guard last year. So I don't know what you think of him at center, but with, but specifically with Andrew Wiley, look, he obviously played on a team that just won the Super Bowl and contends all the time at right tackle. His contract was like three for 24, I think mm-hmm. says something about how the league views him. Cause that's typically not that exciting for money for a starting tackle on a team that just won the Super Bowl. And then you look at some of the numbers, he was way up among the league leaders in the bad way in sacks. Uh, I think, uh, uh, I think maybe easier the hurries or quarterback hits though. Orlando Brown was also pretty high. I think in some of that. And, and obviously he's viewed as an all pro players, relatively speaking, so I don't know how much of that is Mahomes scrambling a lot and making putting more pressure, so to speak, on his linemen. Nonetheless, what what do you make of of Wiley? Because they really need him, I think, to be a thing. And I don't know what to point to to tell me that that's going to be the case. Yeah, I mean, I he was the you know the fifth best offensive lineman on the Chiefs last year. Uh, granted, that was a very good offensive line, but he was clearly the fifth guy. Um, you know, so the weak link of the unit. Um, but that said, he still had a pretty good year. Um, you know, especially, you know, playoff Super Bowl, things like that. Um, but you have to remember, you know, Kansas City, especially tackles, um, they get a lot of help um you, you know, schemed into their system. Andy Reid is just a master at uh creating leverage advantages and um, you know, utilizing chips and you know, slides and just so many creative ways, um, you know, to, to create help for the tackles, you know, Kelsey is oftentimes lined up, uh, you know, kind of as that tight slot alignment, he can, you know, give a little bit of help on defensive ends, edge rushers on the way out. Um, so he gets a lot of help in pass protection and he still, you know, isn't necessarily a, a very good pass protector. He's, he's okay. Um, but you know, he just, he had the best year of his career last year, and he's coming off a Super Bowl. So, and of course, he's a great guy to have in the locker room, all that. You're paying for that as well. You want just that that Chiefs aura to come into your locker room in a way from a guy who, you know, is a good leader and a good teammate and things like that. So you're also paying for that. Um, so I think that's a big part of his value. But purely on the field, you know, going, he's not going to be a guy you're leaving on an island against, uh, you know, I mean, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau or somebody or, who else is in your division? I mean, definitely not Micah Parsons or anything like that. You're not Eagles, so. Wiley, right. you know, one-on-one against those guys. Um, so you're going to have to, you know, help him out with the scheme a little bit in those kind of situations. Um, but, you know, granted, I think ho- hopefully people can understand 
you know, 90% of the tackles in the league need help against Micah Parsons. So I'm not like dinging, you know, Andrew Wiley too much, but you certainly don't want him, you know, he, he's not going to be a guy who's going to come in and, uh, you know, is going to be able to just be out on an island, you know, on, on obvious passing downs as a tackle. He's going to be a good guy, you know, to be a part of the unit, to make guys better, uh, to be a good influence um, and be like a solid to average starter. That's that's what you're getting, I think, with Andrew Wiley. Solid to average loses against above average and better players. It's just the way it is. So, yeah, I mean, you know, just being realistic, you know, he's, you know, th- there's not 32, you know, solid right tackles in football ever. Uh, so, you know, the fact that you probably got one is pretty good, but just trying to keep it in context as well. Right, and the fact, like you said before, they don't have a great player anywhere makes the – other guys like it's they're more glaring when you don't have like linchpins to uh to sort of to, to build it around can yeah it can yeah, yeah. it's it, the margin for error is very is very thin for the offensive line this year i think you know all right well if you want above average analysis clearly you're going to want to listen to brandon on twitter uh oh, i just lost my uh handle here uh on twitter what's uh, this you tell everybody where, where can they find you on twitter and where else can they find you they want to subscribe and hear uh, and hear your thoughts or read your thoughts. Yeah. So Twitter and Instagram, I also do a lot of videos there. It's both the same. It's at Brandon Thorn NFL. And then uh, my Substack, trenchwarfare.substack.com. And uh, people can get, you know, you could subscribe to the site there and get years of, of uh, articles and all kinds of stuff, film rooms with a lot of, a lot of players and whatnot there. So those are kind of my, my handles and uh my, my sub stack is kind of my main spot right now that i'm doing work uh awesome my guy i really appreciate it especially uh this is the definition of a last minute get so i really appreciate it uh enjoy uh enjoy your weekend and yeah we'll we'll see what goes on here with uh with the commanders thanks so much yeah absolutely thanks for having me all right big thanks to brandon for his time and of course to everyone here for checking out the podcast uh more coming up in the coming days here and of course i will have some articles up as well on the athletic but that is it for now ben standing signing off until next time